Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to Reporter's Corner, the Gonzaga Bulletin's news podcast. This week, I have Justin Reed, Bulletin's sports editor, who talks about his piece on the history of the Gonzaga football team, which appeared in last week's edition of the Bulletin. Stay tuned for our conversation and his interesting perspectives. Corner. I have Justin Reed. He's the Bolton sports editor. And he published this piece on Gonzaga football, which ran in uh, last Thursday's edition of the Bolton. Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Josh. Thank you for having me. So, Justin, can, can you kind of go back um, and tell our readers what it was like going and reporting through this piece? I know uh, Jack Stockton, who is uh, the father of John Stockton, NBA Hall of Famer. But uh, most notably, he is the son of Houston Stockton, a Gonzaga football legend, and you're able to talk to him and who had a lot of great stories about the team. Um, what was it like talking to Jack and learning about the Gonzaga football team and their history? And you know, what was it like just uh, working on the story in general? Well, it was a lot of fun. I, I would say football is probably my favorite sport, and, and I just love the excitement that goes along with it. Um, but to give a quick shout-out to the Alumni Association. who hooked me up with him. I got him in touch pretty quickly within about a day or two. And uh, went right over to his house, sat down with him, and he's a 90-year-old man, and he's probably one of the most interesting 90-year-old men I've ever met. I haven't met that many, though, so I guess I, I don't have that much insight, but he was very knowledgeable on, on all things sports in general. I mean, having a son like John Stockton and a father like Houston Stockton, who ended up winning an NFL championship as well, I kind of feel like you have to know sports. So he was a lot of fun to talk to. He had some pretty cool stories about the football team and gave me a lot of stuff to work with for my story. And a lot of those stories are included in your piece, which everyone should definitely check out, whether in the print edition or online at www.gonzagabulletin.com. Another shameless plug for the website. But uh, again, what were some of the cool stories that that Jack had? I know uh, he's chock full of them. Uh, What were some of the ones that stood out to you? So one of the ones that, for, for Gonzaga, we always talk about how great we are because we have Bing Crosby as an alumni and or as an alum, and it's, but one thing that was kind of interesting for him, he was a huge movie star back in the day, and when Jack worked for uh, Brother Buskins, which was the, uh, kind of the head of the equipment for the football team, and also the groundskeeper for Gonzaga Stadium back in the day, he uh, witnessed Bing Crosby come back to Gonzaga and donate this water wagon, which for most of us would just pretty much be a way to give water to the players, but I guess it was some fancy contraption, but Bing paid $1,000, brought it back, donated it to the school, and everyone was super excited for him to be there. He had his entourage there, and uh, people were practicing hard, having a good old time, and they went over to try and use use the water wagon, and no one knew how to use it. So I, I, I would assume they eventually figured out how to use it, but it was kind of funny because he said a bunch of players were upset and frustrated because they didn't just couldn't just drink out of the hose or whatever. They had to go through this machine because Bing Crosby donated to him, and it was a big deal. But he said that it was a funny scene watching all the – coaches and players trying to uh, mess with it to try and get it to work and no one quite could figure out how to use it that's that's quite the story whenever big crosby is you know circle circles back in um, through gonzaga history it's always it's always interesting to there's always some fun stuff about bing yeah that's for sure <laughs> what's stood, what stood out to this story and something that people might not know that's just general history when it comes to the football team is two hall of fame players nfl mm-hmm. hall of fame players Played for Gonzaga, Tony Canedo, am I pronouncing that correctly? Canadeo. Canadeo yeah. and uh, Ray Flattery, both are in the NFL Hall of Fame and both played at Gonzaga. Uh, what kind of stories did, uh, did Jack have about 
uh, both of them, as well as you know his his father Houston, who was a a popular and uh, really really successful football player for Gonzaga. Yeah, so he he didn't have much to say about Canadale, mainly because he played uh, in the '30s. If if I uh, thirty yeah in the '30s, so he was there, um, but he didn't really get to get close with them like he did with Ray Flaherty. Canadale ended up being uh, a big time running back in the in the, uh, the NFL for your for your Green Bay Packers. So. Um, that, that, was, that was interesting, but when it came down to Ray Flaherty and the rest of the guys that were around when, when Houston was there and then in the beginning stages of Jack's life is they all lived around Gonzaga, around the university, because Spokane was in a very big city, so they, didn't have, they weren't able to go out and recruit far and wide, and so a lot of these players grew up around Spokane, and their parents lived around Spokane, and he mentioned how it was a lot of fun. He kind of pointed in, like, southeast of where his house was, and he said, yeah, the Flaherty's lived right over there. There were some some good people, and obviously Ray was a great guy, and so he had all these just, he was able to meet all these players, and even though he wasn't even really involved with the team, uh, they all just seemed to be, like, great guys because they, they came back and uh, were involved in the community and came back, met Jack, and Jack was just able to kind of talk about how, how cool and nice they were. Um, which is saying a lot for, for some of these guys who uh, they grew up in Spokane and had to move all the way. Ray Flaherty ended up going to coach the Washington Redskins, so that's all the way across the country. And Canadeo went to Green Bay, and they all somehow made their way back, which was just kind of a, a kind of a cool thing to hear from from Stockton. And Jack himself wanted to play football, uh, but he was never uh, never got the opportunity. Why? why yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, he, he he did admit that he wasn't the biggest of guys. But uh, he was a little it was a little unfortunate because you know his dad was such a stud for Gonzaga. He he wanted to follow what his what his dad did. But he uh, brother Buskins, who was the guy he worked for when he was in high school, didn't really let him. Said he was too small. Those guys were too tough, and the current football players were too tough, and he wouldn't be able to play. So he ended up brother Buskins ended up going to uh, Jack Stockton's mom and pretty much said, "You can't allow your son to play. He's he's going to get killed out there." And his mom threw the hammer down and said, no football for, for Jack. So uh, his, his mom got in the way of that one, and Jack was uh, kind of stuck on the sidelines for the, for the football team. And Flaherty himself, you mentioned him coming back to the community, which is you know, cool in itself, along with Canadeo. But Flaherty was a really, really big, influential part on football history in mm-hmm. general, not just the football history of Gonzaga itself, but football history in general. Can you kind of... Take uh, take the listeners back uh, through time and kind of explain to them how how uh, influential Flaherty has been on the game itself. So Flaherty was it's interesting because he uh, when he graduated from Gonzaga he was a player for a while and he ended up winning three championships total, uh, which in it in and itself is pretty impressive. But he uh, going from like I mentioned over to DC. That's where he won his championship as a coach, and then he also played with the Giants, and uh, that was also pretty cool because those are both big-name football programs. But in the year, let's see, one of the years back in the day, I think it was in the 40s, I think 47 sticks out for some reason, but back in the day before anyone uh, really understood what it meant to throw a football, he ended up inventing this behind-the-line screen pass, so in this day and age, when you see um, a quarterback drop back, a bunch of defensive players are in his face, and he just kind of lofts it over them to usually a running back, and a bunch of linemen are up running down the field, that's a screen pass, and he was the one who invented that. And uh, some, that's something that in today's game is becoming a huge factor. 
And so that was is one way he influenced football. But then he also was the first player in, in professional sports in the United States to have his number retired, which I guess isn't him exactly. But still, you look at, you know, we have Jackie Robinson's number, and everyone knows why he's so influential. And you have a guy like Ray Flaherty, who he was the first one to have his number retired. And so it's kind of a cool thing that he and Gonzaga can hang their hat on is another reason why he was so influential. He won uh, three championships as a player and two as a coach. I right? to, yes, he won... Um, if you look, yeah, I think it was. I think he. I think it was two as a coach and one as a player. I think three total. And um, he also he wasn't just the coach of the Redskins. He coached for I think about twenty years. And but it was both his coaching and his playing because he wasn't. We were talking about his coaching here, but as a player as well, he wasn't just kind of a pushover either. And he um, made it the Hall of Fame based on his skills as a player and as a coach. And uh, that's impressive in itself. You have 290 or so players in the Hall of Fame, and Gonzaga has two of them. So that's it's always kind of a cool, cool fact about the football team. Of course, one of my favorite anecdotes from the story was the lights exploding. Oh, <laughs> it's just it's so odd because you think that people would just think before they did things, but they. So the football team was when the football team was, or sorry, the football stadium was built. They for the first. I think five, six years or so, they, they didn't have any lights, so they just played during the day. But they ended up uh, pumping in money to the stadium to put in more features and an enemy uh, or you know different things. And one of those was the lights because they wanted to play nighttime games. A lot of fans and a lot of players were itching to play under the lights, and so they did. But the problem is they uh, installed indoor lights, which they thought they could fix that problem of being indoor lights by putting these big shields. I don't know what the material was, but big shields over the top of these lights. And in theory, whenever it rained, it would keep the lights protected because the shield would block it and would just drain on down. But when it was windy, these shields would lift up and the rain would come down, hit the lights, and just one drop of rain would make these light bulbs burst because they're indoor lights. And so all these bulbs are bursting when the lights, when, um, when, the, when it was raining. And each one, I think it was $7.30 to replace. Back in the day, and that included the labor. And it's just like, come on, like, you gotta. Like, I feel like that's such a simple thing to ask is just install outdoor lights. But yeah, I, you know, I'm not the expert, so yeah, what do I have to say? It also happened what, like 80 years ago. So yeah, you know, we, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt on this one. You'd say it's water under the bridge. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. It's uh, it's over with. And you know, the big the big question mark with with this story is, you know, why why did they get rid of it? I know World War II is the popular. You know, reasoning for for why 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 they got rid of the program and just didn't make sense. They couldn't field the numbers and it just never resurfaced. What kind of answer did you get from Jack and some of the other people you talked to about why the the football program never uh, never reassembled after uh, the World War Two? So the reason for World War Two, obviously, a lot of a lot of men went off to war, and so Jack said when he was on campus around that time because he was actually in college during around the time of uh, World War II and when the football team was dismantled. But he said that the football team, their last game, they lost 49-0. to And the reason for that, and it was to, of that time, the Washington College, something like that, WSU now. Um, yeah, Washington State College. Yeah, yeah. and so now, you know, now WSU, everyone knows that. But they, uh, Jack mentioned, Jack Stockton mentioned that a lot of these big schools, Idaho back then was a big football school as well, were taking all of the players, not just the good ones, but all of them. And so Gonzaga didn't even have enough players to field the team. And so that team went away. 
And then looking back after the team was dismantled for World War II, they looked back and people were looking at the actual monetary issues with the team. And uh, I think a lot, a lot of the time people like to kind of put their blinders on because it's football and it's great and everyone's having a good time and no one really thought there was a problem. But in looking back, we were able to see, not me, but they were able to see that the football, the football team had a lot of issues when it came to money. Their best season in the history of their team, which spanned about 50 years, their best season profit-wise was $2.70, and their worst was $70,000 in the red. So just that in its in itself was terrible because a lot of these schools, especially back then, were, are just 100% funded, well, even now, were funded by private people. And so while people are pumping money into the school, a lot of that money, instead of being spent on school upgrades, like new buildings, was being pumped into the football team. And so in the last 10 years of the football team's existence, they amassed $350,000 of debt. And that's back in the 1940s. Back, like today, that's still awful. But in the 1940s, I don't know what that calculates out to. But, I mean, way too much money. Substantial and, amount. Oh, yeah, exactly. And so that, that plus the lack of, of guys. So when they, WSU and Idaho, they never, um, as far as I know, their football teams never went away. So they were able to improve, keep recruiting good players. And so the mixture of money and not having enough guys, not having enough of a foundation after the team was, was back or after the guys started coming back um, led to them just never bringing it back. And by 1949, seven years after the last game was played, they tore down the stadium. It's a very good response. Very good response. Thank you. If you haven't checked out Justin's story, please do so. A very good recap of Gonzaga football history, and you'll learn a lot, I promise you. So check that out in either the Gonzaga Bolton print edition uh, published last Thursday or online at gonzagabolton.com. Justin, thank you so much for Thank you on. very much, Josh. It was a lot of fun writing this story. Thanks again to Justin Reed for coming on the podcast. You can check out more of his work as well as other work produced by Gonzaga Bulletin staff members at gonzagabulletin.com as well as picking up a paper on newsstands around campus. For live updates for news around campus, follow the Gonzaga Bulletin on Twitter at, at Gonzaga Bulletin or our sports account at, at GU Bulletin SPRTS. Again, that's GU Bulletin SPRTS. Also, did you know the Gonzaga Bulletin had a Snapchat? Username Gonzaga Bulletin. Thanks again for listening to Reporters Corner. I'm Josh Horton. How's your day going? Well, not too bad. You know, just working at class, kind of being bored, not doing much of anything. I looked at, we looked at pictures of photojournalism, like for a whole hour and a half, or hour and fifteen minutes. That's all we did. Wow, photos and photojournalism. Yeah, and a very it's a very uh, peculiar uh, fact about photojournalism is we actually take photos and uh, we uh, are journalists at the same time. So it makes us, you know, photo journalists, photojournalism. Wow, thanks for that explanation. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm glad I can give you that, <laughs> that professional expert insight.